So these last several weeks, the theme has been what it, what's described as the precepts, which are the guidelines for living in a wise way, for speaking and acting in a way that um, brings healing to this earth. Um, the Dalai Lama, whom a number of you I know went to see this weekend, is one of the contemporary beings that is considered quite a wonderful embodiment of living in a wise and compassionate way. In fact, he's described it this way. He says, my religion is kindness, you know. Um, And the grounds of the Buddhist precepts and really of any ethical guidelines is this quality of care. It's a quality of kindness or care. Tonight's talk is about our aspiration, about the longing of our hearts to live in a wakeful and caring way. If we look at any part of our day and sense, well, were we there for it? Were we acting in a way that was kind or helpful? We'll find that if our intention, our aspiration is to be present, to be kind, then we're aligned with our heart. And if instead we've forgotten, then we're in a reactive place. So how to become aligned? Most of us know what it's like to get really locked into reactivity, to get real disconnected from caring. Um, We see it in our daily behaviors when we get most addictive in some way or most workaholic or preoccupied and we really can't listen. We can't listen to others, we can't listen to our own bodies or minds. And what can happen, and this is where it can bring up quite a lot of suffering, is that we get into a mode that can last for days, weeks, months, decades, where we get habitual in our relationships, in work, and are not connected to that aspiration to care. We forget. There's a cartoon that I found a few months ago that I really like, and in it um, there's a graveyard and a gravestone and under, underneath is a body, but the bubbling that's coming up into the air, the thought bubble is, um, I finally decided what to do with my life. <laughs> and the underscript is, Ed pushed the late bloomer envelope to exciting new levels. <laughs> so there's this way in which we all want to remember what matters, and not have it have our life kind of just go by and have days and months and so on go by disconnected and yet our conditioning is really strong to forget and we see that and that causes some pain. So the spiritual path, one way of describing it, is this kind of process of remembering, of remembering to reconnect and one of the universal ways in all spiritual disciplines to remember is to pose to ourself the question, what really matters? What really matters? What do you cherish? I mean, if you were at the end of your life looking back and asking the question, you know, what really mattered this lifetime, what would you look for? What really matters? Now, we do that spontaneously. You know, we, at certain points in our life, whether it's midlife or because we've just experienced some great loss, sometimes when we're quiet in nature, sometimes when we're at retreats, our world stops. And we do kind of step off the the busyness and the assumption of what it's all about and go, wait a minute, you know, what is it that I really care about? We do that. But there's also rituals to make that kind of questioning and looking and reconnecting more alive in our life. And in Buddhism, one of those rituals is taking refuge. 
Um, some of you are familiar with it. It's a ritual of simply repeating, I take refuge in Buddha nature, in just this awakening that's happening. I take refuge in Dharma, which is the teachings. And I take refuge in Sangha, which is spiritual community. And it's a beautiful way of remembering what really works. There's a second ritual, and that's the one I'm going to focus on tonight, which is described as the vow of the bodhisattva. Bodhisattva is awakening being. And we each are awakening beings. So this is really the aspiration of all awakening beings. And we each, when we go inside and say what really matters, have our own language. And that's beautiful and quite fine. And so I'm going to talk in a language that's kind of a common denominator, I think you'll find, for what you might sense as your aspiration. There are two interrelated facets of the longing to awaken. And this is in traditional Buddhism and this is also in contemporary life when we look closely. One piece of it is the sense that we wish that every part of our life, every circumstance in our life may serve to awaken our hearts and minds that whatever's going on, it may be part of the path. And I think we all intuit the off-balanceness of feeling like some space is sacred space and some moments are important spiritual moments, but then when we're washing the dishes or going to the bank or doing the shopping, that's off time. We we know that that's uh, not who we are, and yet it's habit. So one facet of this longing to awaken is that every circumstance, the most difficult parts of our life, may help to awaken our hearts and minds. All circumstances. The second part of our longing is that these lives be of benefit to all beings. We intuit again that we're not racing to the finish line by ourselves to make you know, yay, victory, enlightenment. It's not like that, you know? Rather, we're in it together, and that as we awaken, it's a natural rippling out, an an interdependent phenomenon, and may all beings benefit. May all beings awaken. In a way, you can think of these two parts of aspiration as um, receptive and active. May anything that arises be cause for awakening, this heart and mind. That's kind of a receptivity to whatever is occurring in our lives. And may this awakening be of benefit to all beings. That's kind of the active, expressive component. This is not a passive path by any means. Sometimes I think of it in the most simple way as breathing in and breathing out. You know, may we really breathe in. May we receive this life. May we let this life touch us. Because if we breathe in and open to it, it does touch us and wake us up. And then breathing out, may we let go. May we be of service. May we offer care. May we give our lives to other lives. Breathing in and breathing out. So just to explore a little further the power of this aspiration, because it's something that's in all of us, this longing to awaken, and yet it takes some training to remember. It's it's actually a practice just to remember that this is what we care about. So to look more closely into the first piece, may all circumstances, all the parts of my life serve to awaken this heart-mind. The question that comes up is, what is it that we have to trust to really be connected with that prayer? What do we have to trust about life? What do we have to understand? What stops us from wanting to have all circumstances awaken us? 
I'll turn that into a question, actually, that I, you can actually... Do you have a sense of anyone? What do we have to trust in order to want all circumstances to awaken our hearts? Louder? Ourselves. Trust our being. Mm-hmm. And you, are there any others? There's, a, there's not a right answer to this. What is your sense? For you to really have that prayer, may all circumstances of my life be part of this awakening. What do you have to be trusting? That things will be all right no matter what. And if all right equals I won't die or get hurt, we're in trouble, right? (laughs) Okay, good. Anything else? There's a lot of different ways to frame this. Yeah. Yes, that it's all interdependent that whatever's going on is part of everything else. Yeah? Yeah. That everything that happens can teach us. That's right. This is all true. It does take a certain trust. And um, for me, what I notice is there's a reflex when circumstances are difficult to think something's wrong, to think what's going on is outside of the realm of the unfolding of spiritual awakening. Um, It's very immediate and very physical. So really, another way of saying it is to trust that nothing's wrong. (laughs) Joseph Goldstein does it really beautifully. He describes, this is a teacher from the Insight Meditation Society in Barry. He says, Whenever I think there's a problem, I decide there isn't one. (laughs) As we go deeper in mindfulness training, what we start realizing is that our suffering does not come from unpleasant experience. That there's a constant you know, arising of pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, and it's not suffering because unpleasant arises. Our suffering comes from our reactions to what's going on. An example. So, a strong experience of shame arises, our fear. Okay, it's just, it's, it's got a physical component, sensations, unpleasant. And then what happens? There's some evaluation of, this is bad, this is wrong, I am bad, this shouldn't be, get rid of it. And it sets off a whole chain reaction of trying to cover it up or get away from it or get busy or compensate in some way to get rid of the feeling. That's where suffering is. And it's been said that to the degree that what arises is unacceptable, to that degree we're not free. If every time unpleasant arises and we spin off, we go, this is wrong, and try to get rid of it, we're not free. If every time pleasant arises and that's not enough and we have to hold on and make more of it, we're not free. So the challenging circumstances in our life, the ones that this aspiration says open to, are really the ones where we actually can learn the most because those are the ones that put us at the edge of our comfort zone, at the edge of our zone of what's acceptable. Difficult circumstances are the ones that force us to face what's unacceptable. Therefore, they're an opportunity to open and be more free. The power of difficult circumstances, and I'm going to be inviting you to pick some in your life, so you might want to start scanning, is that they really are a direct mirror for where our strongest self-attachments are, attachments of how to defend ourselves and how to make ourselves feel better. I'll give an example of, um, for me, what was one of the most painful episodes in my life that ended up being such a teaching. And it occurred about 15 years ago. I was part of a yoga community, and 
at um, towards the end of my involvement with the community, I felt very, very betrayed by the main teacher or main guru of the community. And um, as it was, he was um, he had a lot of power and he was misusing it and um, dishonest and abusive to a lot of people. So I was not the only one that experienced this, but I um, tried to take a stand in a more public way and, you know, say, hey, what's going on? And he publicly creamed me for doing it. And um, while I had a sense of what was true and what was right and what was wrong, he still had a lot of power in the group I was part of, so it was really devastating. It was an awful experience. And I remember right when it happened having this sense that either I was going to feel very, very crushed or somehow or other (laughs) this was going to serve something. I just had that sense. I was kind of wobbly though because it was really, really difficult. Um, And I left the group for a lot of reasons and that was one of the big ones. As um, it turns out, and this is grace, I spent a lot of time being with the woundedness of that, the feeling of being abused, because my um, own personal history doesn't involve the kind of abuse that so many people have that's really traumatic. So this was my, one of my closest experiences to it. So I really said, okay, be with this, be with this. And it was incredible, because what it was a mirror for was how much I had given away my power, not trusted my own wisdom, not trusted who I was, and been vulnerable because I let him define if I was okay or not. It was very, very powerful. And the more I was with the sense of mistrust and deficiency, the more of a sense of compassion and connectedness and empowerment I actually experienced. Um, So much so that I was able to open and forgive him because I could look at him and see him as a human. I could see his suffering and um, it's sometimes very hard with a very aggressive and powerful person to see their vulnerability. But um, it was such a, a jarring and painful experience that I had to open that much to my being that I was able to make room for him. So that moment of wobbling, I mean, I'll remember so well you know, this somewhere in me there was this prayer, please let this teach me something. And I'm sure many of you have had that. When things seem as awful as they could be, there's just some place in you that is praying that may this serve something that I really value. And in this case, um, it did. It opened me to a deeper trust in Buddha nature, not um, having my well-being hooked into someone else's judgment. When we're caught in our small self, when we're caught in our wanting and our fearing, we translate the circumstances of that moment accordingly. There's not a clarity, there's not an openness. We perceive others in terms of what can they give us and how do they threaten us. And we perceive situations in the same way. You know, how is this going to serve the little moi? You know, and how is this going to be threatening to who this being is? And the greater the want, the more narrow and distorted our lens is on what things are about. Most of you have experienced infatuation, yeah? A lot, pretty blinding, isn't it? It's very hard to read and really know where another being is, our yourself, when we're so under the sway or the grip of wanting. Our whole belief system gets kind of melded around it. So we're very habitual about making meanings of situations dependent on how caught we are in wanting and fearing in our beliefs. So this is an example of this phenomenon. Um, Different responses to one of the great koans of the generation. Uh, The koan is, why did the chicken cross the road? (laughs) And this, I hope, illustrates the point. Because you know that a kindergarten teacher, her perspective will be to get to the other side. Here's some other responses. Timothy Leary because that's the only trip the establishment would let it take. (laughs) Einstein, whether the chicken crossed the road or the road moved beneath the chicken depends on your frame of reference. (laughs) Colonel Sanders, so I missed one. (laughs) (laughs) Captain James T. Kirk, 
to boldly go where no chicken has gone before. (laughs) Hippocrates, because of an excess of phlegm in its pancreas. (laughs) Fox Mulder from the X-Files, you saw it cross the road with your own eyes. How many more chickens have to cross the road before you believe it? (laughs) Richard M. Nixon, the chicken did not cross the road. I repeat, the chicken did not cross the road. Jerry Seinfeld, Why does anyone cross a road? I mean, why doesn't anyone ever think to ask, what the heck was this chicken doing walking all around the place anyway? (laughs) Freud, the fact that you are at all concerned that the chicken crossed the road reveals your underlying sexual insecurity. And we'll end with the Buddha. Asking this question denies your own chicken nature. So tell me, did that illustrate the point? <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway, I couldn't resist them though, they were cute. The challenge that we have is that whenever we're caught inside our own belief system, which is based on our wanting and fearing, we cannot rest in, connect with what's present. We can't learn from what's going on. We can't be wakeful, we can't be intimate. It makes it so that the circumstances in our life that aren't quite the way we want them become this huge realm where we're not really there, when we're with people that don't really interest us, when we feel sick, when there's too much to do, when we're criticized, when we're distracted. Some of you know former Postmaster General J. Edward Day revealed in his book an ingenious way to stop long-winded telephone callers. Day suggests you hang up while you are talking. The other party will think you were accidentally cut off because no one would hang up on his own voice. (laughs) We all have strategies, you know on how not to be here. I mean, they range from being, you know, common ones to being pretty eccentric, but we leave a lot. So the question is, it's been described in the story of Rapunzel, how to turn straw into gold, how to have every situation of our life, every interaction with each being, all our moments, be really honored in a way that we're wakeful that we say this too, this moment, right here, right now. We're not on our way to the end of the talk so we can then do this, then do that. We're not in the car on the way to something. This moment counts. May this too serve to awaken heart and mind. How to remember that aspiration? How to actually bring that to mind? Perhaps for me, one of the most inspiring examples of this kind of remembering is the Dalai Lama's response to the Chinese and to the Chinese suppression of Tibet. Probably everyone knows. Millions have been killed. His homeland taken away. They're trying to decimate the culture. And how does he respond? Two things I've heard. One this weekend I heard that he referred to the Chinese as as his greatest teachers. The other, he describes the Chinese as my friend, the enemy. In both there's an open-heartedness and a sense that this too, these circumstances too, even this most horrific set of conditions in some way is part of the path, part of awakening, the ground of awakening. So I'd like to invite you now to do a bit of reflection and we'll do a little bit of a guided meditation and some sharing around it. On this first part of the Bodhisattva's vow that all circumstances in our life may be part of awakening and to take a moment to reflect on what are currently challenging or difficult circumstances in your life. 
ones you probably on some level wish weren't happening. And just choose one. Might be difficulty with a person that's important. And take some moments to connect with the realness of this, what makes it difficult. It's an opportunity to do a little healing around something. What makes this so difficult? Sense how you've related so far, how you've reacted. Have you wished it away? Have you been resentful? Have you been blaming? Have you been welcoming? How have you reacted so far? And ask yourself how this circumstance might be a teacher for you. How this circumstance, this situation could serve your spiritual awakening, the awakening of heart and mind. And just sense how that might be possible. What can this teach you? How can this serve a deepened sense of freedom? What does this have to offer to you? and then taking a deep inhale and exhale again, opening the eyes now sensing the intention to both speak and listen with wisdom with care and this is kind of an exercise both to share the content of what you just explored to the extent you're comfortable, but also to really be silent and listen as another person speaks, and then to speak from your heart. Um, Please turn and um, find a partner just sitting in pairs and do it silently. We're going to keep this in a meditative way um, so you can really experiment a little with uh, wise speech. So please find yourself a partner just turning. Um, If there's odd numbers, it's fine to be in threes, but just turn to someone and still being silent, just kind of acknowledge that person. And if you're sitting in an area where there's a lot of pairs, then just join one, it's fine. Hmm. Decide who's going to speak first. And then who's ever speaking first, first take a moment to check in and sense what's true for you. Sense what you, where you are. Feel your heart so you can stay in your body and speak from your heart. Speak what's true. Speak what feels appropriate to you. And then beginning now to share what might be the teaching in a difficult situation for you. And I'll tell you when to switch partners. Okay, please begin.
If you're finished, it's fine to switch. Otherwise, you can keep going. If you're in a group of three, you might want to wrap it up and switch people. If you haven't already switched, to please switch partners now. So the person that was talking is now listening. If you're in a group of three, you might want to switch again now. And please wrapping it up, last few moments.
like to just to take a few moments and open this if anyone feels the desire or willingness to share in a larger group of what you might have noticed or learned in that um, or what might have been difficult. Is there anyone? everybody hear that? This is one of the kind of most important and basic kind of decision type questions that we run into, which is, okay, so here we are in an awfully unpleasant situation at work or in a relationship. Um, Does this mean that to awaken in our spiritual path, we absolutely accept it and stay put and learn to the bitter end? Or is there a point at which it's wise to say, well, got enough for this round, I'm on my way, right? Um, and there's not a um, nice, clean guideline on it. It's more a way of, to check your intentions. Um, there are many unpleasant situations that it's really, really wise and compassionate to remove ourselves from bodily or emotionally or whatever. It just absolutely, we, you know, we don't, we're too vulnerable. It's um, oppressive, abusive. For instance, I left that spiritual community I was part of. I didn't stay around to wait for the next round of abuse. So the question isn't really, do you stay or leave? Do you stay with what has come up in you? Can you make use of what has been aroused, the fear, the wanting, the confusion, the shame? This is where the difficulties are valuable, is that they trigger off stuff in us that's there anyway we'll usually find our way to another situation that triggers off the same thing. That doesn't mean we stay in an abusive setting, but we really take what's come up and learn to open and forgive our own inner being and befriend and include whatever has come up so that it can teach us. I hope that's helpful. So that was a question. I don't know if anyone has any sharing on what just happened for you. Could you all hear? This is very wise and very true. (laughs) It's about learning to give up needing to control. Thank you. (laughs) We can end now, (laughs) because that's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Anybody notice anything? Yeah. So this is one of the most basic places we come to, that the difficult stuff in our life usually brings up fear. And what is the value in that? And it's just what you said. The fear is there anyway. You understand that, right? The fear is there. It's in our bodies. So, yeah, circumstances are going to trigger it off. And the question is, do we resent that? Do we blame other people? Do we try to get away? Do we ignore it? Or do we let that be a circumstance where we bring the kind of attention where we can develop a friendliness with the scared part in us, 
where we can begin to connect and be more intimate with our vulnerability and in that way discover the trust you're talking about. So yeah, that's, that sounds pretty basic. Um, others, yeah. Beautiful, thank you. So in a way we're doing a process within a process. Do you understand? And you're actually exploring one, the content by the activity itself. Thank you. Yeah. Could you all hear that? So I won't paraphrase it so much, but when you think about it, it is true. I invited you to check out something that was personal and difficult, which means there's some vulnerability if you really do it. And then to go and turn to somebody you might or might not know well. Some of you know each other fairly well, but not everyone. And to disclose that this is one of our most basic fears, disclosing vulnerability. So here you were actually doing that. And that's why I asked you to connect with your aspiration even in this exercise for speaking from your heart and listening from your heart. So thank you. Others, anyone? I just want to honor you and say, I think it's not easy what you just did. It's not easy to even have the intention to look at something difficult and say, okay, let this teach me, because it kind of goes against our strategies to not be with things and so, and so on. So I want to both honor you for checking it out internally and for the willingness to talk with each other. But there is a healing in that too. And we'll do another little exercise, if you will. So come sitting. And this you will not be asked to share in pairs, but anybody that wishes to will be invited to speak up in front of 100 people instead, (laughs) which is much easier, of course. (laughs) Okay, so going inside and taking the same difficult general area or circumstance and allow yourself to resurrect it, sense what's difficult about it and if you can sense a very specific situation within it, either one that's already happened or one that is going to or well might happen, a situation that has been or could be difficult for you that could trigger off fear or pain in some way. And take some time again to honestly connect with what this is about, what makes it difficult, the feeling of difficulty. If there's other people involved, see and feel and sense who they are and what gets triggered off. Exaggerate it a little if you want to do the exercise more fully really seeing and feeling and hearing what's happening. Sensing the situation and where maybe the point in that situation of most difficulty is, where you feel most stuck, most reactive.
And then taking a moment now to sense the prayer of the Bodhisattva that this too may serve to awaken your heart and mind, that just what is arising, that these circumstances, this very situation, may serve you. Feel the prayer for that. That this genuinely be part of your path. Feeling the prayer and then imagining how you might move through the situation, staying aligned with this prayer, learning, being receptive, being present, being real. Imagine how that might be. And then just offering a prayer to your own vulnerable self that you might remember what you value, that you might feel held in love and care so that you're able to learn and grow through this situation. Just offering a prayer to your own being that this too may teach you that you might have the courage to learn to awaken. So then the question is, what happens when you very intentionally remember, make that prayer right in the mix of things? What happens to you? Are you able to move through in a different way? Is there any different perspective? Please. Courage to move on and let go. Yeah. There's an openness to the situation person allowing it to, to be to be with it. Okay, an opening to the situation, allowing it to be and to be with it. Thank you. Yeah. So it becomes a learning process, and you feel. S- yeah, please. Okay, so the question is, is is it ever constructive or is it ever wise to express anger or distrust or whatever? And um, absolutely. So let's say you um, establish your intention, may this circumstance serve to awaken heart and mind, and you really feel that. 
And then you move into the situation and what seems wisest is to let somebody know that they've hurt you and you're not going to put up with it anymore. That's wise and fine. Awakening our hearts and minds doesn't mean that we then lie down and get abused. Sometimes the very nature of that is the next move is to be um, setting up more boundaries. The point is that out of that aspiration there's an intention to genuinely feel what's true in your own being and learn from it. It doesn't, me- doesn't prescribe any particular behavior with another being. Okay? It's just the willingness to be with the experience because out of being with an experience, out of really feeling the hurt or feeling the pain or feeling what's difficult, we have the possibility to respond with wisdom and with compassion. And sometimes compassion means putting our foot down and saying never again. Okay? Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't there to hear that, but in my mind, I would draw the line for myself, too. I mean, I don't, you know, if I'm abused or if you're abused, I'd still protect, but I would still, in my heart, feel the intensity so I could respond with a wise response, not a reactive, not out of just reactivity, not blindly. We have a responsibility, right? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, anybody else? Just to say that in this basic aspiration to awaken, there's an active component and a receptive component. And tonight we've spent the whole night on just the receptive component. And next week we're going to be talking more about the active component. We're talking about breathing in tonight. And your questions are about the breathing out. So all I'm responding to is there's a lot of different ways to breathe out. But the first step, the ground of our experience needs to be a receptivity to how it is. Once we're able to feel and be fully with how it is, what we put out, our response, our care, our protectiveness, or whatever it is, will be aligned with our heart. So, yeah. Which part's the hardest part? This is true. I mean, this is the Buddhist basic teaching is things come up and we immediately flip into reactivity. So our training is to pause. Our training is to breathe in and feel fully what's there. And out of that, there is a natural response that's healthy, the breathing out. But that t- but there's training in the breathing out part too, which we'll get to next week. Yeah, please.
So when you let yourself feel what you're feeling, then you got in touch with a sense of compassion. Okay. Um, We need to wind up here, and I want to thank you for your participation, because it really, um, it's fun for me. I mean, I love to hear from everybody, and for participating in um, the exercise. Um, So I'd just like to kind of wind up a little bit and say that... um, Just for now, if you will, come back to a sense of presence. And I'd just like you to do a final check-in with your own experience. And then we'll talk about something you can do during the week as a way of bringing some continuity to this. Feel your breath and let yourself come into the moment. The aspiration of awakening is a radical way to transform our lives. It's a remembering what we cherish. It's very easy to get waylaid for long periods of time not remembering. So it's a powerful practice just to ask this moment, okay, what matters right this moment? Where are the places in my life that are difficult that I'd like to remember more quickly? This too, this too. May this serve awakening. Where are those places in your life? What people, what circumstances do you want to remember what's important more quickly with? Offering yourself that prayer that you might remember, that you might connect with what you cherish. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.